Happy Independence Day weekend. How we doing? Good, good. So good to see you all here in the auditorium. So good to have you with us in the venue and online. If you're joining us online today, my name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free, and it's great to be back with you today on this glorious weekend. Uh, what a fun night that was last night in Kearney. You guys are the brave ones to come to the early service today. Did you get any sleep? Woo! <laughs> it really was kind of a beautiful night out there. If you went out to your porch, as I did, and looked around and see this full moon and the fireflies, lightning bugs, and then the lightning in the sky with all the fireworks, 360 degrees. I mean, Carney must have been on a world map last night from the GPS as you saw those fireworks. It was a fun evening. I think the most beautiful thing was the fireflies, personally, but so good to have you here today on um, this Independence Day weekend. So grateful for, for this wonderful nation though, that we live in. And uh, just echo what Cody noted about uh, giving, offering, using the box, and then uh, carneyefree.com. Thank you so much for your generosity to our church. I just want to say, as a pastor here in this community, how grateful I, how grateful the elders have been for your incredible generosity to help sustain us over these past four months. It's been amazing. And uh, we're in a good spot as a church in spite of all that we've been through and that's because of your generosity is inspired by God, and I cannot thank you as lead pastor enough for the way you've cared for our church and our staff in these past unprecedented months. Turn with me, if you would, to First uh, Peter chapter two, verse eleven. You'll find it in the back of your Bible. First Peter two eleven through twenty five is our key text today. You go back to Revelation, then turn to the left, about twenty pages far from there, and eventually you'll get to the book of First Peter. It's a short five-chapter letter that we are navigating our way through across the course of this summer. Before we get into First Peter, just imagine now that you are hearing these words from the mouth of Jesus yourself. Jesus says this. He says, anyone who wants to save their life will lose it. Anyone who loses their life for me will find it. Therefore, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. This is the most often repeated statement of Jesus in the Gospels. It's basic Christianity, but it ain't easy, is it? Imagine you've heard those words from the mouth of Jesus. It's A.D. 64. You lived with him. 30, 31 short years ago. And now you're seeking to implement those words. As you are following your pastor, one of the inner disciples of Jesus, a man by the name of Peter. And you're a part of a very small beginning group of Christians within this nascent church, this early church that is launching from the ground in Northwest Asia, what would be modern-day Turkey. And you're starting to feel the pressure of life. You're in the pressure cooker because there's this man named Nero who has risen to prominence within the Roman Empire, and he is the most ruthless emperor that Rome has yet seen. He hates you because you are followers of the way of Jesus. 
and you're trying to live out those words, deny self to follow Christ, pick up my cross, and go with him wherever he would take me. Be a difference maker in this world. Hard to do today, harder to do then. It's A.D. 64 now, and Emperor Nero decides that over the course of nine days, he's going to burn the city of Rome to the ground. And over the course of nine days, he sings loudly as he does just that, setting arson to the most beautiful city the world had ever known. Rome was indeed an architectural marvel, an engineering marvel of its day. It was unsurpassed in technology and engineering for probably 1,400 years. And he decides that he will burn it to the ground. It was true of Rome that all roads really did lead to Rome. Eventually, you could get to the city of Rome from anywhere in the Roman Empire. It was the center of the civilized day of the world. And Nero decides to burn it down because he has this macabre idea in his mind that if I burn it down and then I rebuild it by my power, then my fame and legacy will expand all the more. Well, the people of Rome aren't that dumb. And they revolt. Yes, they are honoring the emperor, and indeed in that culture, at that time, they were even worshiping the emperor, but there comes a time that you're not going to follow the king any longer. And this was that time, so they revolt. And so Emperor Nero has to change his plans, and he has to uh, make up a new scheme that it wasn't me who did this, it was this other group of people who burned the city to the ground. And he tries to find a scapegoat And he finds a convenient one in this small group of followers of the way of Jesus. You. He says it's Christians who burned down the city of Rome. And then he unleashes the most vile persecution on the early church that the church had seen to that point and perhaps the worst that the church has ever seen, in which over the course of the next year or so, he begins hunting down Christians. And he accuses them of incest because they have a greeting policy that was wonderful in pre-COVID-19 days in which they greet each other with a holy kiss. And so he hunted them down because he calls them incestuous, they're greeting each other with a holy kiss, and they're calling each other brothers and sisters, and they actually mean it. They actually live that way. They don't have family bloodlines, but they live that way as brothers and sisters. He starts to beat them, and he invents this thing called Roman candles. Anyone shoot off a Roman candle last night? Okay, this is a different kind of Roman candle. These were Christians soaked in wax and then lit up in the city of Rome for people to see. Roman candles. Eventually he decides that he needs to cut off the head of the church, who is a man named Peter. And he finds Peter in A.D. 64, and he tells him, you're going to die. You refuse to shut up, you're going to die. And he's going to crucify him. 
And Peter says, I'm not worthy of being killed in the same manner as my Lord Jesus. Do not kill me in the same manner. Do not crucify me. And Nero, being the benevolent dictator that he is, obliges and chooses to crucify him upside down. Now imagine that that's your situation. And into the context of that savage persecution, you remember the words of Jesus to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow him. And in that situation, before Peter dies, he writes you this letter. And these are the words of a pastor to his flock. In the midst of the most savage persecution the church had seen, 1 Peter 2 says this, verse 11. My dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor who is hunting you down as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor even the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, this is a thick passage. This is a difficult context. And we want to understand what your word said to the original audience. And then we want to do the hard work today of interpreting the scriptures such that we would apply it to our own lives. Lord, would you still us for this next half hour? That we could hear from you potentially, not from me, nobody in this room, nobody in the venue, nobody online today needs another talk from me. What we need is to hear from the very words of God, as inspired by the Holy Spirit for our lives today. And so, God, we choose to put away all pride. We choose to put away, I want my way. And we ask today, Lord, that you might teach us by the power of your word to live more and more in the spirit of God, to apply these words to our lives and to understand all that they mean. Through Christ we pray, amen. 
Friends, this is a pivotal passage in 1 Peter, and again, it flows directly from Jesus' mouth when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. The key verse across this entire passage that I just read comes from verse 12, which says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Here's the lines that I underlined, that I highlighted in my Bible as I was studying this and doing my own scripture, observation, application, and prayer, my own soap note through this passage. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagan wasn't a derogatory word back then. It is today, of course. You wouldn't want to call someone that. But back then, that was just a name of people within the Roman Empire who would worship the emperor or who would worship any number of gods in the Greek pantheon. And Peter's telling his church, live good lives amongst the outsiders of the church. That's what it is. Live good lives among the outsiders of the church. That's how we could put it today. That they would see your good deeds. They would see your excellent character. They'd be amazed by your excellent character in spite of the accusations that they send to you, in spite of the insults, in spite of being reviled, that they would see the goodness of your life. And eventually, over time, because they say these people are different, they don't punch back when they are insulted. Rather, they smile and they bless. And because they smile and they bless and they live different kinds of lives, even toward outsiders, not just toward insiders, but also toward outsiders, ooh, I glorify God. Ooh, I worship God. Ooh, I, I want to know their God that they could do that. What he's talking about is just a tag on, really, to 1 Peter 1, verse 16, that we talked about at the beginning of this series, which is really the key verse for the entirety of 1 Peter, which says, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be different. As I, the Lord your God, am different in this world, so also you are different. And so we noted a couple weeks ago that the heart of the holiness begins where? Come on, somebody. I heard someone say the heart. Thank you, okay? The heart of holiness is the heart. It begins with the heart. Let's say it together. The heart of holiness is? It's the heart, okay? So you look for holiness. It's, it's not about externals. It's not about what people look like. It's not about what kind of clothes they wear. It's not about what kind of job they have. It's, it's the heart. And it's out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, that the mouth speaks. So if you want to work toward greater righteousness, you want to work toward greater holiness, it's not about externals. It's about saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. Spending time with God and asking him to change us from the inside out. And if you get holiness to the level of the heart, then behavior will follow. But if you focus on behavior, then you won't get the heart or behavior. Many of us have, have, have experienced that. We, we, we've, we've tried that, and it doesn't work. You focus on behavior, you do not get the heart. It doesn't work that way. You focus on the heart, and then behavior follows. What I'm going to talk about here today is the way, out of the heart of holiness, it begins to develop a lifestyle that is above reproach in every single domain of life. So out of the heart, well, we begin to live according to a different standard. Out of the heart will we become a fragrance of God to a watching world that they would say, mmm, smells like Jesus. 
Out of the overflow of the heart, we would shine like the stars in the sky against a black backdrop. The people would say, look at those Christians. They're different. Their moral excellence sets them apart. What this passage is saying is that Christians should be known for such a moral excellence, such a moral authority, such a holiness at the level of the heart that they are set apart amongst the darkness of this world, not just in the things that they say, not just things they do, but in their fundamental character, that are the overflow of the heart, there would be beauty for people to look at. And that would extend to the way we relate to governing leaders. It would extend to the way that we relate to our bosses and our co-workers. That would extend to the way we relate to experiences of suffering and persecution that we will go through. That would extend to the way we relate to our husbands and our wives and our family. And we'll get into that when we get to chapter 3. Again, the point in all of this is that we would live such exceptional lives fueled by the love of God that people would see us and say, oh, that's different. Could this passage be any more relevant in 2020? Because the simple truth is the church is not seen that way in America any longer. The simple truth is the church in America looks to people on the outside just like the outside. You know that. You've heard it from your unchurched friends and family, as have I too many times than I care to admit. What we have to understand here is that this is not a message that is specific to Peter. This is a message that is basic to Christianity. Again, let me just share a number of verses. 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then 1 Peter 2.12, Peter goes on to say, Live such good lives amongst the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. Now, it wasn't just Peter. The Apostle Paul says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without grumbling, such that you would shine like the stars in the heavens for the world to see that you would be pure and blameless in this generation. They were saying this because they were following Jesus, who, of course, said, You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And a city on the hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light so shine amongst men and women that they may see your good deeds and they would glorify your God who is in heaven because they see something different from you and me. And all of these statements were given to Christians just like us, only tougher. They were. They were. These are statements given to Christians just like us, only living in far harder environments than we deal with today, dealing with more persecution, tougher. Listen again to Peter's words here in this passage under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 13, Submit yourselves to the Lord for the sake of every human authority, whether to the emperor or to governors, 
Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 18, servants, indentured servants, as we'll get to later on, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not just to the kind ones, but also to the harsh ones too. I don't know about you, but when I read those passages, I must admit that everything in me wants to look for exceptions. Like, oh, Peter, you don't know my boss. Uh, Peter, you, you don't realize how my cheese got moved at work. P Peter, you, you certainly don't realize how underpaid I am for the exceptional work that I do every day. Yeah, you know, we look for exceptions to these. Like, uh, Peter, am I supposed to honor that guy in office? That girl in office? I mean, they're not from my political party. This is the way we think. We look for exceptions to the plain words of Scripture right here. We look for our exceptions. Now, to be sure, there are exceptions to these words. Peter lived out some of those exceptions. If you want to go back later on this evening, I would highly encourage for your reading, as a family, Acts chapter 5, you see a gorgeous portrait of civil disobedience from the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John as they encounter the resurrection of Christ. They, of course, lived with Christ. They witnessed his vicarious death for them. They saw him rise from the grave, and because of that, they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And because they wouldn't shut up about Jesus, the Jewish authorities threw them in jail. And they demanded that they would shut up about Jesus. When they got out of jail, they demanded some more that they would shut up about Jesus. And John and Peter and so many other men and women said, we must obey God rather than men. Okay, so there are these moments where civil disobedience is right, but that's that text. That, that's Acts chapter 5. We're on 1 Peter chapter 2. There are exceptions, and Peter lived out some of those exceptions, but the message of this text is follow ruling authorities unless they violate God's will. That's the message of this text. We are to follow ruling authorities unless they are more specifically commanding us to violate God's will. Now, if a ruling authority is ever to command you, if someone in your house is ever to command you to violate God's will, don't do that, okay? If a ruling authority was ever to command you to violate God's will, don't do that. You have a good reason to practice civil disobedience to that, as we see in the scriptures. But otherwise, what this text is telling us, that we are wise. In fact, we are commanded as citizens to follow ruling authorities unless they would violate God's will. Our freedom as Christians, understand, isn't to do whatever we want. That's not what our freedom as Christians is. Can I tell you a secret? That wasn't the freedom that our founding fathers had in mind either. Our founding fathers didn't have the idea of freedom to do whatever you want. It was a freedom within limits. In their case, it was a freedom to do what was right. It was a freedom to be free to worship. It was a freedom to come out of the oppressive hand 
of the British Empire that was telling them they could not worship freely to practice civil disobedience in that case to come out of that even as they still believed in the proper and good role of authority in our lives. And so also for Christians today, our freedom is to do what is right. A freedom to worship God and part of what is right is to honor those in leadership. So let's, let's really break down this very, very thick passage to what it looked like back then and also what it looks like for us today. I noted this already in my prayer, but the truth is the basic and very, very difficult task for all of us as we study the scriptures is to do the work of what's called Bible interpretation in which we read the Bible and we understand what the Bible had to say for people back then in A.D. 64 and then translate it, interpret it for A.D. 2020. And from the ancient Middle East context to our context, different context, different culture, different language, different continents, to ours today because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the enduring Word that is meant for them way back then, and it's still inspired for us today. Do you believe that? Okay, and so our job is to interpret it and then apply it to our setting today. And to that end, you'll see a little chart in your outline. If you're taking notes today, I encourage you to kind of fill in this chart for the next 10 minutes or so as we seek to apply this passage to our lives and understand what it meant in that context as well. On the left side of your chart is the original context, and the right side is our context. So these are threats to holiness. Right above that chart, threats to holiness. Here's some threats to holiness. Back in A.D. 64 in the Roman Empire versus 2020 Nebraska, one of the threats to holiness back then would have been physical persecution. One of the threats to holiness today would be marginalization. Okay, back then, again, the threat was physical persecution. And you think about this, the physical persecution that we've already talked about, Nero was lighting Christians on fire. We cannot imagine such a scenario. There were no social benefits to being a part of the Christian community back then. Zero. There were only social pitfalls, potential physical, psychological persecution if you became part of this Christian community. That's what they were facing. As the great second century church historian and church father Tertullian put it, by God's power and in God's providence, the blood of the martyrs became the seeds of the church. Now, friends, I know many of us are really scared of persecution, but I tell you what, God might bring some persecution our way, and Jesus says, blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the sake of justice. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and it's oftentimes through persecution that God would bring a cleansing to the church and a revival within the church, which needs to happen in America today. And so perhaps that would come to us someday, and if it does, thank you, Jesus. That's what he says. Thank you, God, for some persecution, that I'd be counted worthy of the cause to be persecuted for, for your sake. Now, that was the situation back then. That's not our context at all. Today, you're not, none of us are in danger of physical persecution for believing in Jesus. Indeed, in many areas of America, including Nebraska, in many areas of America, 
if you are a part of a church, there are still social benefits to being part of that church. That would be unthinkable in Rome. Like, there are people in America today who are members of churches but haven't darkened the door of a church in years. That's unthinkable in Rome. Okay, the reason they're members of the church is because of the perceived social benefits to being a part of the church. That's cultural Christianity, which, by the way, is meaningless but before God. Okay, but even that said, in our culture today, one of the threats to holiness will be and is marginalization. Let me tell you what I mean. If you just say, I'm a member of Carney E. Free Church, I'm a tender of Carney E. Free Church, no big deal. But if you go on to say that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ our Lord, if you go on to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no one that comes to the Father except through him, if you go on to tell your family members that God died for them through Jesus so that their sins would be completely forgiven, but if they choose not to receive Jesus, that there will be no forgiveness of sins, you can be sure that there will be marginalization. If, if you tell your good friends who are Christians that they really should not be sleeping together but before marriage, if you tell your friends who are dabbling in pornography that pornography is exceedingly dangerous and it's against the will of God and it defiles women, it's unjust to women, if you choose to consistently deny yourself in order to follow Christ, if you choose to live a life of simplicity rather than extravagance and you invite others to do that as they deny themselves to follow Christ, oh, sure enough, you will be marginalized, won't you? Sure enough. What I'm not talking about here, of course, is cultural Christianity. What I'm talking about here is full-throated, God-honoring, Jesus-centered, gospel-centered Christianity. And if you're serious about that, you will sometimes go through the pain of feeling left out. And friends, I've gone through that more times than you could count. And it's painful. But I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to stand with Jesus. I am not walking or blending in with the crowd. And I pray that you're with me. Especially in this season. I think it's possible in this season, God's trying to do something in the church to turn us more and more into the bride that he wants. Second on your chart here, you'll see a threat to holiness is insulting government leaders. This communion element is getting in my way. A second threat to holiness is insulting government leaders. So back then, though, the threat would be insulting Nero. And Peter says, yeah, you're to honor Nero. To which his church is like, Nero? You want us to honor him? Yeah, even him. Yeah, but he practices infanticide. Yeah, even him. He invented Roman candles. Don't insult him publicly. Don't do it. Be above reproach in the way you speak about him. Pray for him. Oh. Anyone feeling this? Man. Okay, what would that look like today? Here's what it doesn't look like. I'm a really big fan of President Trump, therefore I will honor President Trump. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like this. I'm a really big fan of President Obama. Therefore, I will honor President Obama. Doesn't look like that. It looks like this. I'm a big fan of President Trump. 
but I will speak in an honorable way about President Obama. It looks like this. I'm a big fan of President Obama, but I will speak in an honorable way about President Trump. Ooh. Ooh, how we doing? Anyone with me today? That's what it means. That's the correct interpretation for our context right now. There's a gentleman in this church who a few months ago was convicted of the fact that he was not speaking in an honorable way about our president. And he listened to an excellent message, not given by me, given by another pastor here in this church a couple months ago, and he, he felt a level of conviction about that. And he realized that he was wrong in, in the way he was speaking. Now the question is, what do you do in that moment when someone brings you a level of conviction from the scriptures? Here's what most people do in that moment. They put on their boxing gloves. They get prideful. Here's what that man did in that moment. He took off his boxing gloves. He went on social media and he publicly apologized. Under conviction from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Is that different? Oh, that Christians, this election season, would speak with love and honor. Not for those that we only agree with. Anyone can do that. But for those we disagree with. That's special. That shines like the stars in the sky against the backdrop of darkness in our world. Well, why does God want us to do this? Number one, he wants us to do this, I believe, because leadership is so tough. Leadership is so hard. And so God ordains leaders, and even if you don't always like those leaders, the office of leadership is to be respected. But number two, it just looks different, and it's beautiful, and it's a beautiful testimony to the glory of God when the church acts in a way that is not insulting those the same way as the world insults people. We have an opportunity to be different. Verse 17 says this. Show respect to everyone. Honor the king. Last section here. At face value, I gotta admit that verse 18 is one of the most disturbing verses in the Bible to me, but it needs to be explained, and then it becomes a little bit less disturbing, so stay with me. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are considerate and good, but also to those who are harsh. Now sadly, we need to admit that because of human greed, And because of very lousy Bible interpretation, the very thing that I was just talking about, that's the reason why it's so important to take notes today in today's message. Because of greed and very lousy Bible interpretation, this passage was amongst a very small select number of passages in the Bible that was used to justify slavery in America for 246 years. And it's garbage. 
The system of slavery in the Bible was a completely different system than the system of slavery that existed in the American South. The system of slavery in the Bible was about voluntarily indenturing yourself in servitude to another individual or family for a period of time in order to pay off one's debts and thereby provide for one's family. In the Roman Empire, you have to understand that one-third of all residents in the Roman Empire were technically slaves, but they included professions like these, doctors, philosophers, teachers, accountants, laborers, farmers, even property owners. All of those could be slaves and typically were slaves well, within the Roman Empire. Physical and sexual abuse was illegal, and slaves were emancipated as soon as they paid off their debts if they so desired to be emancipated. Many of them didn't, but because this was their means for providing for their family. It was more like the voluntary indentured servitude that we've seen other times in our nation's history in which race played absolutely no role. Contrast that with American slavery, where women and children were oftentimes sexually and physically abused. Where ownership was prohibited, thereby slaves for the course of generations during slavery and after slavery could not develop any assets or equity to be able to move forward in this world. Completely different system. Equal rights were surrendered by slaves under the false altar of white superiority in which blacks were designated as three-fifths of a human being. Two completely different systems. Friends, we live in a great nation. We live in a great nation. And I'm so glad to live in this country. There's no other country that I want to live in. Our country, with all of its promise, with the most beautiful constitution the world has ever seen, it is a great nation. But you know what? We are wise to admit that some of our ancestors in my family, I'm, my family's from the deep south. My family has roots. There's lots of Boykins in South Carolina. Some of our ancestors were a part of misusing this to treat people like cattle. And we're wise just to repent of that as part of the body of Christ. That collectively, the body of Christ failed. And we're wise just to repudiate that and repent of that. I mean, we desire so much to live according to the beautiful statement of our Declaration of Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women were created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want to live that out. And all these translations, all these interpretations that came sadly out of Scripture to compare ancient slavery with what happened in America across 246 years are patently false, garbage, ridiculous, and need to be repudiated. Now even so, we must admit, saying all of that, that it was not easy to be a servant, an indentured servant within Rome in A.D. 64 because masters could be harsh. Just like bosses could be harsh, right? 
You ever had, a, ever had a harsh boss? Would you raise your hand if you have? A nasty, harsh boss. Have you had one of those? I have. And so really the translation here is very simple. The interpretation is very simple across both cultures. Back there in AD 64, it was honor and respect your masters or your bosses. Respect your masters and your co-workers. Disrespecting them is a threat to holiness. And so also today, you think of your boss. Disrespecting your boss is a threat to holiness. Because when we disrespect our boss or our co-workers, well, that brings an ugly stain to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we are charged to represent in this world each and every day. Uh, one final example, and then I'll close. I was talking to a gentleman in this church not too long ago, and he um, got a promotion of sorts in his workplace after 20 years, but it was a promotion to a new job that required different skills, and he told me these skills really aren't within the center of my skill set. They really aren't my strengths. They really aren't the things that I even want to do. I would not really like this promotion, but I was voluntold to do it. And I said to him, so how did you respond to that? And he said, I told my boss yes. He said, you have to be very careful how often you say no to your boss. And I'll do the very best I can, and I'm learning this new position. And if you know this man, I will not say his name, but if you know this man, you respect this man. If you know this man, yeah, you see, this is a man who brings blessing to those around him, and other people will see the way he works, and they will honor God as a response to the way he works. He is the kind of man who will do it in such an excellent way that he can win people over by doing what he doesn't want to do, even as his boss moved his cheese a bit. This is for us today. You see, the heart of holiness begins with the heart, but then it extends itself into all of life. The heart of holiness begins with the heart. Here's the big idea you want to take home, take home with you today. It begins with the heart, but then it extends itself into all of life. It extends itself into the way we deal with suffering and persecution. It extends itself into the way we deal with our bosses and our coworkers. It extends itself in the way we talk about our governors and our presidents and our other leaders. It extends itself into all of life. I'm going to ask our band to come forward, and they're going to lead us in communion. And we're going to prepare our hearts to go into communion. As we consider, though, this idea that in this dark world that we live in, Jesus doesn't ask us to curse the darkness. He invites us to light a candle in the darkness. He invites us to shine like the stars in the sky against the backdrop of darkness. That we would receive the love of God. That we would receive for us the affirmation of God on a daily basis. That we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are bought with the price of Christ's blood. And because we're receiving that affirmation every day, we have a renewed strength in the ways that we would deny ourselves daily. Pick up our cross and follow Christ.
across the main domains, civic responsibility, the workplace, our families, where we live and breathe each day, that we would light a candle for this dark world to see, that we would be different. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We confess that at the beginning it cuts like a scalpel, but eventually it heals us. And we're grateful, Lord, that you would have us be difference makers in this world. You would have us not curse this darkness around us, but you would have us follow Jesus and be representatives of Jesus where we live here today. Please help us, God. There's something in this passage for every one of us that is difficult for us. Help us in the way we speak about those with whom we disagree. Help us, Lord, in the way we honor our coworkers and our bosses. Help us, Lord, if we're dealing with suffering today, that we would bring it back to the love of God, bring it back to the cross, and receive the help of Jesus from the cross each day to strengthen us for the journey ahead. We'll be careful to give you all glory in Jesus' name.